Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Today, we are going to be discussing a subject that has been on my radar for decades, as well as our guest, uh, Troy Zimmerman. He is the Special Projects Director for the National Kidney Foundation, and we're going to be talking about the Comprehensive Immunosuppressant Drug Coverage for Kidney Transplant Patient Act that was finally passed. Yay, Troy! (laughs) Yay, everybody. (laughs) Yay, everybody. Well, you really work really hard on this, Troy. I, I know over the years you have you worked your butt off on this. So I'm going to give you some credit on this. Yes, a lot of people came in, but you've been the steady Eddie throughout the last couple of decades. It's only because I've been around longer than anybody else, but thank you. <laughs> Uh, we won't talk about ages or anything on this. Okay, so uh, <laughs> um, this bill was introduced and supported, you know, it's hard to believe, a bipartisan coalition going back for more than a decade, yet it failed to get passed. What do you think helped it succeed this time? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, well, let, let me start by saying there was never any question or any doubt from members of Congress as to whether the previous policy was sound. You know, everybody agreed that, you know, paying for dialysis indefinitely and paying for a transplant and not paying for the anti-rejection drugs was bad policy. In fact, um, I like to tell people, tell our advocates, you know, if you you know, if we ever, when, whenever we met with the actual member of Congress, if that member of Congress was not on a health committee, you know, we know they aren't, you know, experts on the end stage kidney disease program or on dialysis if they're not on health committees. There'd be a lot of instances where we would explain, you know, what that shortfall was and the member of Congress would just, you know, they'd be amazed. And sometimes they'd turn to their their health aid and say, let's get on this bill. So, <laughs> so, so I wanted to start out by saying it was never, there was never any doubt that the policy needed to be fixed. And having said that, I think first and foremost, the reason we succeeded this time was the support of Health and Human Services Secretary Azar starting in 2019 was a very significant factor. And also, two economic analysis by the Department of Health and Human Services showed that indefinite immunosuppressive coverage for Medicare would be an actual cost saver. And then last year, the Congressional Budget Office did an analysis that confirmed that as well. So while Medicare will spend more on the immunosuppressive drugs by covering them for the life rather than just 36 months after a transplant, the graft loss due to cost barriers will certainly decrease. And that, and that, according to HHS and the Congressional Budget Office, will result in a net savings for Medicare. And last but not least, uh, and Laura, you were, you know, commenting on how long the community and the broad community has been working on this. You know, in the last two years, in the last Congress, the kidney patient and professional communities worked very, very closely with the bill sponsors. And we had regular communication with the sponsors in both the House and the Senate. And, you know, that certainly made a difference. And um, it really all started, got kicked off two years ago when the Congresswoman Eschews 
House Subcommittee on the Energy and Commerce Committee held a hearing on this. It was on uh, January 8th of uh, 2020. I think I said two years ago, but one year ago. So that hearing really started things off. That was the first time Congress had had a hearing on this issue um, in, in my memory. Well, and you know what's what's interesting to me is that I may I know many years ago we didn't get a cost savings for the bill. It wasn't scored effectively to get a right number, and I guess they were able to get that. And for those of you listening, what that means is whenever Congress passes a bill or passes anything with any type of cost, they need to figure out how they're going to pay for it. And in this case, they were able to show that it was paid for by the savings of not having people return on dialysis and then have the cost of being on dialysis because Medicare would pay for that again. That's the simplistic version. And so, so prior to this bill passing, uh, you you would get kidney failure. You qualify for Medicare. If you qualify for Medicare, it pays for your transplant. And then after your transplant, you get coverage for three years. And then this was a sticking point for people because after three years, their Medicare would drop them, which often meant their Medicare Part D was dropped, which is their medicine. And so this bill basically pays for the medicine, correct? That is correct. So it will so most kidney patients, as you said, have Medicare eligibility, and most uh, patients who have a Medicare covered transplant, if they have a Medicare covered transplant, then they get their uh, immunosuppressive medications under Medicare Part B. Oh, B. Um, okay. And so this extends the coverage that otherwise would have ended if they did not have Medicare at the time of transplant, but they later become Medicare eligible because of age, then their drugs are covered under Part D. But otherwise, yes, most um, drugs for for Medicare patients are covered under Part D. Immunosuppressives are a little bit different because they were covered by Medicare long before there was a prescription drug benefit under Medicare. Well, and I, I don't know about you, but I was always asked this question, like, well, I can't believe Congress did this and that they only covered for three years. And um, and and the thought behind it, maybe you can share, is that, you know, people who have kidney disease are really the only organ that get the entitlement program. Maybe elaborate on that and why they chose the three years to only cover people. Well, actually, when, when the Medicare benefit first started in 1973... There was no time limit for a dialysis patient to be covered by Medicare, and and most Americans who have kidney failure are eligible for Medicare regardless of their age and regardless of any other um, disability. So as you said, it's, it's a special disease coverage, essentially, under Medicare. But when the benefits started, there was not, well, there wasn't an immunosuppressive coverage because transplants were so uncommon. Um, initially. Um, so if you're on dialysis, you have indefinite Medicare coverage, no time limit. If you're a transplant recipient, what we've been talking about here is your coverage ends 36 months after the transplant and then and all your Medicare coverage. And that applied prior to the law that was passed last year that applied to the uh, immunosuppressive medications as well. They ended 36 months after the transplant if you were non-aged or non-disabled. But initially, um, transplant recipients were covered under Medicare only for 12 months post-transplant. Okay. And then once 
immunosuppressive drugs were more advanced. Like that's the right word, but once transplants more became expensive. more common, <laughs> well, it, well, yeah. Once transplants became more common, then Medicare started um, covering the, the, the transplant medications. But again, only for twelve months. Eventually, Congress passed legislation to go to thirty-six months, and then now we, you know, we have what we have now with the indefinite coverage, thanks to last year's bill. Yeah, to lifetime coverage. Now, you know, one of the things I think people get confused about, though, this is only for the meds. So if people are, you know, 30 year, 36 months post-transplant, they need to find additional insurance to see the doctor or uh, get their blood drawn. Where does this come into play when people may have insurance that doesn't cover transplant meds? Um, or do you see it mostly being for people who've lost all insurance coverage? Well, the, the benefit, the, the indefinite benefit that Congress passed last year for the immunosuppressor drugs only applies if the individual does not have any other insurance that has an immunosuppressive benefit. Now, any plan should cover it because it is an essential health benefit. But if you do not have other public coverage, such as Medicaid uh, or the Affordable Care Act or private insurance, group health insurance, employer insurance, et cetera, so if you have, if you lack any other coverage, then you're eligible for this indefinite coverage of, of but as you said, Lori, it's only for the anti-rejection drugs, for the immunosuppressor drugs, and and it doesn't even cover other things that a transplant recipient would need, let alone, you know, for, for matters other than the transplant. But for, you know, you're, you're correct, blood testing, follow-up work, you know, annual visits to test the kidney function. If you're, if you're a Medicare patient who is not uh, Medicare age or Medicare disabled, then you still lose all that other Medicare coverage three years after the transplant. Well, and I think people need to really understand that because I think when Congress initially created this program and, you know, they're like, oh, well, patients will go get a transplant and then they'll be back to work within no time and then the work will give them insurance and just doesn't work that way anymore, does it? <laughs> yeah, no, that is exactly correct. Um, I've, I've always heard the same thing, that the assumption was that transplant recipient would be back to work. And, you know, as I said earlier, when Congress passed this in, in 1972, and it was effective in 1973, you know, transplants were uncommon, and when they were occurring, they were occurring, you know, in, in younger um, adults. You know, and, right. and you didn't have a 65-year-old or 70-year-old or 75-year-old or probably even, a, you know, 55-year-old getting a transplant on a routine basis. So, so the, the people that were getting them were more likely to be in the workforce, but you're absolutely correct. The assumption was always... You know, you, you'll have the transplant, you'll be able to go back to work, and you'll have, you know, the employer-based coverage. Well, and, y- you know, I'm very grateful for the Medicare program. I'm a product of it. I don't think I would be here if Medicare wasn't available. And, you know, I often tell my peers, and, you know, please reiterate this, you know, kidneys are kind of special. Do the other transplanted organs get these benefits? They do not. Um, they They do not. If you have... Um, if you need a transplant for a solid organ transplant for anything other, you know, for an organ other than a kidney, it is not covered by Medicare unless that person is otherwise Medicare eligible. So unless they're aged 
or receiving uh, Social Security disability income and uh, you know and have uh, disability status. So for most non-kidney transplants, most of those are paid for by private insurance, and they would they would therefore would not be covered um, under Medicare for their immunosuppressive medications, let alone their transplant. So this this bill, I mean, how I really envision it happening, it could be a stopgap for people who lose their insurance and they're trying to access other insurance. It could be a stopgap so they have they don't have to ask for their drugs on the internet. Like, like I, I see these posts all the time. I I can't get my medicine. I'm like, okay, call me if I get arrested. I'll be on the news and in prison because I helped a patient with a dose. <laughs> um, uh, but I mean, that's really probably the patient it will help. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, I I would agree. Um, you know, and we hear from our uh, the National Kidney Foundation here. We hear from our transplant surgeons and our you know, social workers and our transplant social workers on a regular basis about how they have to counsel um, patients either before or after surgery. Um, you know about the loss. In fact, I was talking to one of our transplant social workers a few days ago, and she said, "You know, the patients know prior to the law being changed that you know they were going to be their coverage for Medicare." Um, for the immunosuppressors would be limited to 36 months, but, you know, they don't really think about it that much when they're, you know, trying to get a transplant, and before they know it, the 36 months is up, and then they're faced with, you know, they get the paperwork for Medicare that, you know, your coverage is, uh, you know, uh, approaching its end, and, you know, they come in in a panic, and they don't know where to turn. I, I've, I've received so many of those calls and emails, it just breaks my heart because there's a, you know, hopefully we'll get to a place in this country where insurance is more easily acceptable and accessible and you don't have to jump through a couple hoops to possibly get it. I mean, I'm so grateful that the pre-existing condition clause is gone because my famous story, Troy, is I almost married a gay guy in the 80s because of my insurance. And, and you know, it's just crazy what you would do for insurance, you know, um, uh, now that we do have access to it and they can't hold us um, back by having a pre-existing condition. Um, when does the lifetime immunosuppressant bill take effect. So how does that work? Uh, the new benefit is effective on January 1st, 2023. So Medicare, uh, the Department of Health and Human Services and and um, Medicare will have uh, two years to implement it. And it will, but it will include patients whose Medicare expired prior to that date. So and that's one thing that we really um, emphasize with our congressional supporters is, you know, we want, we didn't want patients to be left without coverage simply because, you know, their 36 months had already been reached prior to the date of enactment or prior to the effective date. So we're very pleased that they'll be able to obtain coverage again. Now, it won't be retroactive and go back and, you know, pay for their medications for the prior X number of months or years, but going forward, um, you know, if their coverage expires, say, in, you know, June of this year, then in January of 2023, they'll be able to resume coverage again. Um, but again, if they have any other form of public insurance or private insurance, you know, they're not eligible for the um, indefinite coverage. And uh, let me also add that we recently posted a frequently asked questions 
document on the MKF website, and I can um, provide that link to you separately if you want to put that out for people as well. Um, yeah, yeah, questions well, that we've already been asked that we've heard from patients, and so this answers some simple things like the question you just asked about timelines and eligibility and so forth. We'll put the, a link on the podcast page so um, people can see it as well as hear it, and um, I think it's worth, though, uh, Troy, to give a shout out to all the elected officials. I mean, can you remember a lot of them off the top of your head that made this happen? Certainly. I mean, our champions in this Congress were um, Congressman Kind from Wisconsin and Congressman Burgess from Texas. They've both been trying to enact this bill for several years. Um, in the Senate, we had Senator Durbin of Illinois, and he has been working on this almost as long as I have, <laughs> um, probably going back about 15 years. He's been the Democratic leader on this bill, whether he was in a majority party or the minority party. And then last but not least, um, we were very, very fortunate to have Senator Cassidy's support on, on the Republican side in, in the Senate this year. Um, he is a uh, physician from Louisiana, and he was very, very interested in, in trying to get this, um, you know, taking on this bill as one of his causes, and, and he certainly helped um, get it through for us. So all four of those members were very, very committed to it. We had other um, strong support in the, among the House members and senators. I, you know, we probably had at least ten co-sponsors, additional ones on either side that that were, you know, very passionate about this. Um, we had more co-sponsors than that overall, but I'm, um, you know, certainly a strong support beyond those four original sponsors. We, you know, we were able to line up a lot of reinforcements, so to speak. Going back over the years, you know, there there were different members of Congress that, you know, really wanted to get this done. So we were never at a shortage for interest. And as I said at the beginning of the podcast, is this really more? Uh, and as you said, Lori, how did we pay for it? And the, you know, the cost barrier was always the barrier. It was always an economic question, not really a, a policy question. Well, and I remember calling on many elected officials and my own elected official, my congressmanship, he tells this story all the time um, because when I uh, went to one of those breakfasts in the morning that he has in his office and there's usually, you know, five or six constituents from his area that he likes to have them all together so we can, you know, kind of meet each other. And he says, oh, yeah, I had like a realtor speak. And then I, you know, that they're not getting a certain tax break. You know, he's going around like telling the different stories. And he said, and then Lori spoke about people are losing their transplants. Like he was like, it's not even in the same ballpark of the other issues I was hearing about. And that's why it's so important for, for people who have kidney disease to get to know their elected officials and share their story because, um, you know, that's what gets the job done. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, and it's frustrating for the patients and for the patient community and for people, you know, like myself that advocate for them and, you know, certainly for the healthcare professionals and, you know, first and foremost for the surgeons, you know, not to be able to do everything they can to help people get a transplant. And, you know, I often would tell congressional staffers and members, you know, not only is it the right thing to do for the kidney patient, uh, you know, as far as providing lifetime coverage on the immunosuppressive medications, it's also the right thing to do for the living donor and for the donor families. 
Because you want to do everything so you right. can to keep that to keep that organ, you know, functioning. I had a I had a a vision of a class action lawsuit against from living donors because they donated a kidney and then their friend or loved one didn't keep it because of the fact that. Um, you know, they didn't have access to the meds. But we don't have to do that anymore. Um, I guess next on track is, you know, we have the Living Donor Protection Act. Is, is that something NKF's going to be um, working on in this Congress? It will. Uh, we expect it's going to be reintroduced um, by the end of this month. And for listeners, um, that legislation would do two things. It would remove any discrimination barriers in the availability or the issuing or the benefit levels or the pricing of life insurance, disability insurance, and long-term care insurance for living donors. So they could not be discriminated based solely on the fact that they're a living donor. And second, it would also clarify that uh, living organ donation is uh, eligible for coverage under the Family and Medical Leave Act. That is something that the Department of Labor actually issued that determination in 2018, but by putting it into the law, um, it would ensure that, you know, a future administration or, uh, you know, Department of Labor official couldn't Reexamine it and change, have a change of heart. <laughs> so we want to get it. We want to get it put in the, in the law. Um, that'll be introduced, as I said, by the end of February. Champions are you know raring to go with it, and we're hopeful that we can get the support we need in Congress to, to pass the legislation this year. Well, and I think it's worth mentioning that you know when something passes Congress, it, when they say an act of Congress, it is a difficult thing to do. But once it's passed, it's hard to undo it. And um, if you have, you know, we had a lot of executive orders this last year, and executive orders can be a great thing, but they also can be changed with a stroke of a pen. So they're not as, they're not as, you know, meaty as going through Congress. And so uh, just a little, I guess, civics lessons for people listening, because it's very, very different process. So. Yeah, that's it. That's a very good point. <laughs> you know, they're like, oh, I got that. What What was it? I heard one because there was this one call about there was an executive order put out on lowering the prices of medications. And I'm like, that has to go through Congress. That can't be just an executive order. I mean, it can be a suggestion, but you can't make anybody like lower their prices um, unless you figure out a mechanism through and get a vote through it. So. You know, it, it's uh, it can be complicated, but I think we're all getting a lot of lessons on how how things work by um, seeing them actually happen. So, 2023, January 2023. So that's the date will take effect, and um, you know, RSN and you know all the people uh, that you know we work with, and you work with a lot of the same ones. Of you know, we just thank the NKF for for taking a lead on this. It. it you know, it takes takes a lot of effort and so grateful that you guys made this happen. Well, we appreciate that and we certainly appreciate, you know, the broad support of the um, dead kidney and transplant communities. Um, you know, certainly I can tell you in the, in the last go-around, in the last Congress, um, there was no shortage of, um, of groups that were, you know, 
that came together to work on this. Probably, um, you know, 15 to 20 different organizations were involved in it. And we made sure that, you know, the bill champions knew that. And we had, you know, we had the support of the, um, the congressional health committees as well. They want, they really want to get this done. You know, once we saw the, the fact that it was a net cost saver, <laughs> we would have been dumbfounded if it hadn't been passed. It would have been. So we're certainly, uh, we're certainly glad it, it finally happened. And, you know, next, all we got to do is figure out how to make affordable insurance accessible to everyone so that Correct. they... <laughs> and while we're at it, you know, when, while we're at it, we'll see if we can come up with um, tens of thousands of, of more organs for the people on the wait list Exactly. Well. We got to do a lot more innovation. And uh, there's so many hopeful uh, hopeful innovations coming down the pike for kidney disease and and making sure that you know people participate and you know speak up if you believe it's important share a post uh there's all kinds of things you can do out there to just that are minimal to help push the message forward so uh so thank you troy well um um it's been great chatting with you and i can't wait to see you at a future meeting I hope that happens someday. Uh, let's get back uh, out of the virtual world and back into the real world. Okay. Well, until then, I'll see you on Zoom. Okay. Thank you very much, Lori, right. and, and for all your listeners as well. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.